Hello and welcome to the Pro Detailer podcast. Our series continues and we are in Germany of all places. And we are in Remzek. I'm trying to give you hints as to who we might be talking to right now, uh, which is in, is a Swabian part of Germany, I'm told. Um, and it's basically, it's near Stuttgart. And Stuttgart is the Detroit of Germany. Yes, you can hear the bullets flying out past the window. <laughs> but more importantly, we are joined by Matthias Betts. Now, you may not have heard of him because he's a man who doesn't jump around on social media. He's not a, a big extrovert in that regards, but he's actually a very important mover and shaker in in our industry. He is the Managing Director of Shoal Concepts. Hello, nice to meet you. And how are you doing today? I'm fine. That's brilliant. Well, what I thought is we have been uh, shown around this amazing facility that you've got. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one facility, it's currently two facilities, and then a third, and then a fourth is effectively in the process of being built. Yes. Currently, I can see it, and it's a flat piece of land with a digger. Yes, correct. You're I, making digger land. I, I, I have been Think resisting parks. it going over. I've already I've been aroused today by the number of forklift trucks that you have here. Mm. I like a good forklift truck. <laughs> That's good. Um, and diggers, that's just a, it's it's like catnip for me. Um, but anyway, enough about that. Shoal is a fascinating company um, mm. for me, and for I think most people in the detailing industry, you say Shoal, you mean compounds. You know, compounds is is your business. It's your speciality. Correct. Yeah, but not just the compounds. Also, uh, the waxes, cleaners, but also a very important uh, uh, part of our bi uh, business is the polishing pads. Yeah. So indeed. we also manufacture them here in Ramsec. And actually, interestingly, you, we've had discussions obviously today and stuff, and you're um, talking very much about the system. So adding a polish and a pad as a, as a single entity, as a system, yeah. um, rather than everything considered in isolation, mm. uh, which is interesting. It's how repairs, for example, talk about with their machines and the pads and polishes, all a system. Yeah, that's why the name Shoal Concepts, it's one concept. Ah. And uh, yeah, that's why we try to focus on our key products, but still we like to present uh, a whole system to uh, the end users. Gotcha, yeah, like kind of a, a solution, I suppose. Solution, way yeah. yeah. So, um, history of Shoal, yes. in no more than 200 words. <laughs> <laughs> I try. <laughs> when, when did Shoal start? Uh, back in 1962, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the first generation, or it was built up the business by Roland Scholl. He already passed away 2000 and end of 2015. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the second generation. It's a family-owned company, 100%. No other shareholders, so it's 100%. Okay. Frank Scholl, he's still in the business, but more in the background. He's responsible for, uh, yeah, uh, Building up new buildings. Yeah, we were talking. Certainly, does a lot of the aesthetics of the uh, the, the sort of the, the the brand image around headquarters here. So all yeah. of the uh, all of the furniture, all of the the the, the color schemes, everything like that. That's yeah. kind of his Correct. his baby. Right. Yes. It feels more advanced than that. In that, you'll see in the photos when you buy issue seventeen of the magazine, where we'll have the full write up. Um, but the lighting. Uh, there's a lot of glass. There's, yes. there's, there are chill-out zones. It mm. feels like it's been designed around the employee mm. and kind of the user of the factory, if you like, yeah. rather than, um, I mean, there is lots of Shoal logos and brands, but rather than as a showcase, it's, it's mm. more like this is where we've got X number of people working. How right. many people do work here? Uh, around uh, 55 to 60 people. That's that's a decent-sized yeah. workforce. So you've got very much responsibility, I guess, to those people. Well, yes. Make sure they remain happy and, <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. This is one one of the calmest office setups I've ever been in, I have to say. You, 
there's a very everybody's working very hard and no one's disturbing anybody else and mm. it's it's just a nice it's quite relaxing nice and calm yeah I'm, I not was, used, I'm not used to it i'm used to frantic fires and things like that <laughs> <laughs> You've, it's almost like the kind of do you pipe gas into the offices just to keep people calm <laughs> sometimes <laughs> <laughs> um so okay so we're back in 1962 yeah uh the, we've got the swinging 60s i guess not that e- any of us around this table can remember that at all, no. um, but we've read books about it um and uh, what was Scholl doing in those early days well, um, the owner at that time, um, Roland Scholl, he was uh, selling out of a car. So he was uh, driving around this, uh, this region, around, I don't know, around uh, Stuttgart. Yeah. And uh, s- uh, yeah, supplying all the, all the products, what you need for body shops um, yeah, and, uh, and for the car industry. So he was selling... Um, yeah, compounds, pads, uh, cleaners, uh, all type of uh, type of products. He also sold in that time some SATA spray guns, so mm-hmm. uh, everything what you need accessories for. So he was like an early industry. snap-on man in a yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somehow, yeah. <laughs> kind of in England we have something called the Avon Lady, which are people who go around houses selling shampoo and cosmetics to mm-hmm. other housewives. Yeah, but he also was uh, right back when he was starting. I don't know how it is in the UK. Back in that time, everybody was. Thinking uh, compound polishing <laughs> is like a miracle, yeah. So mm-hmm. he was uh, showing off the compound on a on a, a supermarket place outside and was burning the paint and so on. It was yeah, he was like showing a miracle and this is how everything started. And then he's you know the people are interested and so he added more and more products. Mm-hmm. The first product in that time was called Super Cream. Super Cream? Super oh, Cream. That sounds good. Name. good name. I could do with some Super Cream. Super Cream, yeah. I don't know where I'd put it, but I, 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 that sounds cool. Yeah. It's when it's got an injector on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so this is how everything uh, started. And then when Frank... Uh, Scholl came into the business, so after he was ready with his uh, uh, university. So Frank's the son of Roland? Yes, yep. correct. Um, and when he came in, everything started to get more bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, first private label customer, but uh, I think the the most uh, interesting part in that time or the biggest success was uh, to be um, a supplier of a car manufacturer, so so we we were one of the pioneers in that time. Uh, back in that time, 1999, uh, when we uh, presented a one single one-step system to the uh, car industry, and that was in that time Audi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so English flat. Did I say that right? Is Audi English flat or have I gone completely English stat, isn't it? Ingolstadt. Ingolstadt, yeah, and Neckarsulm. We have Ingolstadt. Uh, it's uh, in uh, in the Bavarian region, Ingolstadt, mm-hmm. and here in the Swabian region we have uh, Neckarsulm, and uh, still uh, our customer. So we until today we still supply our compounds and our pads to uh, to Audi. Mm. And that's really, I mean, to get that affiliation, and actually we, we've, we've had a presentation earlier today and we've mm. shown all the other brands, some of which we obviously can't talk about for, for legal reasons, um, that you supply. But we're talking over a dozen mainstream car brands, mm. um, and some of them are pretty good. I mean, not Subaru, but they're, they're okay. Um, they're quite high-end brands. And 
just a, that relationship that you have. And and bear in mind, this isn't just a, a reputation gaining thing. It's not like you once sold a bottle of polish to this, you know, to this company and said, oh, we're suddenly the supplier. You're generally providing a solution, a concept for these major manufacturers on their production lines. Correct, correct. And the main issue that they're facing is the cars obviously go through the production uh, and they're on the, on the factory line, so to speak, and then they go for a kind of a PDI-style PDI inspection, so before, before delivery mm -hmm. inspection. And it turns out that somebody, let's call him Klaus, has accidentally dropped a door or something, and there's, there's some damage on the vehicle that they want to polish out as, as best as possible without sending the car back into the ring. Correct, yeah. Not only that, but if it goes through the... The painting area, you always have some imperfection in 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 the in the paint. Mm -hmm. So mainly, what they are facing is some dust nips. What they have, so in general, one uh, bonnet of a, uh, the whole bonnet has around five to ten uh, imperfections, and wow. so they send out these single imperfections, and then you have to polish it out in within eight to ten seconds. That's the processing time. Uh, and so uh, that. That's why it's always very important to have a very high quality uh, uh, driven system. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is what we do every day. Uh, and so if, if we start some new developments, it always starts somewhere in the OEM plants or in in um, yeah in cooperation with the paint manufacturers. And, and again, that's a big difference with a lot of, should we say, non-polishing detailing products is that they will start with the chemistry or with a kind of a requirement, uh, almost a hypothetical requirement. We have, I don't know, a certain sort of detritus is on a, on a car, say oil or something, then mm -hmm. we've got to remove it. But you guys are working with the same people who are making the paints. So that is kind of at ground level, should we say? Yeah. Um, which I imagine kind of really helps with the development and all the rest uh, of Correct, it. yeah. And the problem, well, it's not a problem. The good thing about the paint, it gets harder and harder, so scratch resistant, mm -hmm. but you still need a solution how you polish this type of scratch resistant uh, yeah. uh, coatings. Uh, and so uh, this is always uh, yeah, something new. And as soon as um, the paint manufacturers uh, starting new developments on paints, they mm -hmm. also ask us if we can help with a polishing system. As oh, so you get like early access. Correct. Yeah, and, and I suppose that is a, the other benefit of paint always changing. It's yes. always going to have stuff to develop and it's never going to be, otherwise life would get a bit dull, I guess. Um, okay, so 1999, you've basically invented a one step. Uh, what is the kind of, how does the, the story continue? Uh, well, so as I said, also one of our first private label customers uh, what we started and so we increased our business rapidly uh, with um, our single step system in the OEM so further OEM mm -hmm. manufacturers came uh, on board um, and we increased business extremely on, on private label and on um, on uh, the OEM side uh, but when business started, we were not a manufacturer. So uh, back in 2002, we started with developing our own products. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 2004, uh, our first uh, batch was released. Was released. Yes. So you're coming up to 20 years celebration of your first kind of homebrew compounds. So what, what was the first compound? S17. S17 was the first one. Mm. Was the first one, yes. Oh. Purple, yeah, like our brand a little bit. Well, it's not purple, but I always remember pair, pairing up S seventeen with your um, the the purple um, foamable yeah. pads on a rotary okay. as kind of a 
back up to everything. If that, if that hasn't worked by now, then oh, it's just let's repaint it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because this is the, the thing we've, we've talked about OEM, but OEM remains 60% plus of Shoal's business. Correct, yeah. So the chances are, even if you haven't used Shoal in a Shoal bottle, there's a very good chance you might have used Shoal in an, in an unshoal bottle. Probably, yes, because I would say we are the, you know, the biggest manufacturer for private label. In terms of compounds and pads. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, again, back in the early days, the big player was 3M. Yeah. And Meguiar's, but 3M in the body shop and Fast Cut. And we were talking before recording about how uh, one of your kind of, your proudest moment, bear in mind, and this is this is what's really interesting is, uh, with Matthias, is he's started at the bottom. You started very much kind of in the mail room, so to speak. Um, and are, are you related to the to the owner at all? There's no nepotism or anything no, like that? No, no, no. So it was... you fought up on your own merit from... What was your, your first job when you came here? Uh, working in the warehouse, so responsible for packing all the goods. Forklift yeah. trucks too. Oh, did you drive the forklift trucks? Yes. You've already mentioned Klaus. Yeah. Is there <laughs> is there a video? Yeah. Correct. There was a very famous oh, yeah. this for this, a very famous uh, forklift safety video yes. in, in German Klaus, yeah. uh, called about Klaus, and uh, I think during the course of a day he gets speared by a forklift, uh, run over, and had no, Klaus does most of the killing. He's a mass murderer. I thought he's, <laughs> he's, I, he's the one that spears them. Then yeah, he's the one behind the thing. If you haven't seen Klaus the forklift driver. Go, yeah. go on YouTube and watch it. It is hilarious. It's very 80s, isn't it? Or yeah. early 90s. Early 90s, I'd yeah. say. Um, yeah. It's if, if you found Mr. Bean funny, this is going to give you... <laughs> and this was a genuine safety video. Yeah, shown Great. to people. Um, <laughs> and that, that can be found on YouTube, which is found on the internet, which is found on computer. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so ignoring Klaus. So you started in Don't the early days. Klaus here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep, keep, keep your eyes on Klaus at all times. He's lethal. Um, but uh, you started in the warehouse. And what happened after, after you'd done your, sort of your shelf stacking, so to speak, and your forklift truck murdering? So I was responsible also for the team. So I was like a team leader of the, of the warehouse. Uh, that sounds more like a dance crew now. A dance crew, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, uh, I came into the production area, so I was responsible for the production planning mm -hmm. and for purchasing the, all the raw materials for that. So that's a big logistical job, isn't it? Because you, yes. you say, right, customer X needs four tons of this, customer Y needs that. In order to create this, we need 14 this and that. And it, it's like a, it, it's, it's a serious, seriously stressful job, I'd imagine. Yes. Yeah, be very careful where you put decimal points on orders. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Why do we need nine million tons of aluminium oxide? Yeah. Hey, 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 what have I done? <laughs> Italian all of a sudden. <laughs> well, when abroad. Um, so, okay, so you're doing production and stuff like that. And am I right in thinking you then move towards a kind of development side? Yeah, also because of the purchasing part, because the main raw material for compounds, for instance, is uh, aluminium oxide. So there are a lot of specialties on the market uh, and uh, the key is to have the right alumina mm -hmm. uh, and this is always not so easy because you also have to uh, develop together with these um, uh, suppliers and uh, it's always very hard to find the right sources mm -hmm. so is there uh, is there a place in the world that you that mines the best uh, alum uh, alumina oxide well, oh, it's a secret. 
<laughs> you understand? Uh, so, I, don't think it, I don't think he knows. <laughs> <laughs> well, because with aluminium oxide, it's one thing very, very few um, kind of compound manufacturers make their own aluminium oxide. I can only think of one over in California. So it's really down to picking a good supplier, yes. working with them to refine exactly how you want. And we had the same with Andreas at uh, Nanlex saying it's, it's really important to get, but it's also about consistency. And if you get a cheap compound, yeah. I can't remember the word he used, but it's like two kind of standards of quality of aluminium. Once you've got over the shape and the size and the rest of it, there are kind of two processes. One is almost carbonated or calcinated. 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 Yeah, but it's also the most important part is also the high purity of alumina mm -hmm. because somehow you also have some uh, other particles inside and, and as more as higher the purity of the alumina mm -hmm. as better the gloss level and the cutting performances so that's, that's like i guess cut, when it's cut with baking soda <laughs> <laughs> that's how i take my cowpole um yeah so i guess it's like with uh, carbon and steel yeah. Uh, the same sort of principle. Yeah. Um, so you've got that, and then obviously you've got all your lubricants, you've got your glycerol and stuff like that for reducing Correct, the yeah. dusting and it, all the it's other... It's like mixing a, a... A recipe. Yeah, normal recipe of a nice cake. <laughs> or in my case, <laughs> a poisonous cake. Um, so uh, when you were, you were developing all this, and uh, we're talking early days of your kind of things, and the first product you said was, sorry, S3? Uh, no, S17 was S17. the first one. But then... And then we have S3. S3 Gold was one of our biggest success. Mm -hmm. and also the cash cow, so the, yeah. the, the main seller. Uh, reason for that is we were also always uh, trying to, to uh, search for the right product because benchmarking, uh, we started benchmarking and the fast cut, I guess. Fast cut of 3M is, I don't know, in every body shop. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. still find it. Now they have a little bit of issues because of the solvent, so the recipes changed. Mm -hmm. So now it's, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's... It's much more environmentally friendly, but might not be quite so effective. Yeah, so but you can drink it. So yeah. <laughs> you can't drink it. <laughs> you can drink anything once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Actually, to be fair, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, I'm going to go and get a drink, go for it, dude. Go for it. Natural evolution. Yeah. So it was always the benchmark, uh, the fast cut, uh, the green cap uh, mm -hmm. of 3M. In body shops, because it was very the cutting performance was very it was very fast, and so this was always the benchmark. But uh, we tried to focus on a very high gloss level uh, without heavy solvents, because this was all the bad part about the 3M product, mm -hmm. and so that's why uh, when we came out with that product, I think it was something special, something new, something mm -hmm. better. And everybody was uh, looking for that product, not just on show, also for private labels. So yeah. it became the new benchmark. Uh, and that, uh, that was something we have been very proud about. Uh, and uh, also me personal. And, and S3 Gold, uh, what year are we on now? Well, when was that developed? Oh, yeah, yeah, good question. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm thinking 2007 or eight. Seven or eight, yeah. Yeah, that's like that. area. Because that was um, that was kind of at the same sort of time. Because when did you start using S three Gold for the first time? Uh, probably around two thousand and eleven. Mm. And it was already well established. Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, so we had that as a kind of a, a, a main thing, and you've, the company itself has moved around. So at the moment, we are based uh, in, as say, near Remsec, mm -hmm. um, but we've been down to your training facility, which I believe yes. is nearer to where the first. Shoal offices were correct. Yes, 
it's in Freiberg. Mm -hmm. The city is called Freiberg. And there is where Roland uh, Scholl started. Uh, well, was his second uh, building. Mm -hmm. So he uh, started uh, his business also close to Ramsek. It's a part of Ramsek. It's Neckargröningen. Mm -hmm. And then he moved to Freiberg with his uh, facility. And uh, so it's an old building. And over there we have now our detailing center where we have the cooperation together with Flex. Yes, absolutely. Well, we, again, we went there this afternoon uh, and we have photos coming out in the next magazine. But essentially it's a fully equipped and it's got lots of flex, lots of poker premium, lots of very cool things around the place. Mm -hmm. And a black Kranzel. Yes. No, it's black K10, wasn't it? Uh, I think so, yes. I think they might have painted that themselves. Ah, but that it looked very cool. Nice and stealthy. <laughs> yes, it's the invisible Kranzel. Um, and uh, in terms of this site, and, and just to kind of give you an idea, it is a vast building. Do you say the, the other site was 15,000 square metres? Uh, around yes yeah give or take yeah I mean, we're not going to go and get a ruler um <laughs> and and this uh, this place is a bit smaller this building or is it the same uh, it's a bit smaller this building is a bit smaller but what we are planning at the moment where we will start probably in july mm -hmm. uh, it will be uh, bigger than the place the other one it was quite cool when we went over to the uh second location over there where you do the the, the pad production because you go in there and it's just a, a again nice very calm very mm. chilled office could almost be a bit of a trendy wine bar some of the day they're, they're as well bags they're bean bags on the floor there was a ball that you could sit on i didn't because i don't embarrass I, myself anymore than a general sit on balls and, and avoid it. You, you go you go through the glass doors past a little storage area along a little corridor open up a door and suddenly and there's bang. Narnia on the other side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Huge. warm. It must be the warmest factory I've ever been in in my life. I'm used to wandering around factories with and without permission um, and, and, and getting cold. And this one I took my jacket and I started sweating. Really? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, particularly the bit in uh, where they're doing the cutting of the pads. Yeah, it's because right of all the, the machine all the heat press stuff, yeah. 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 But one, one thing I hadn't actually seen before was we, we've seen... Um, foam arrive at pad manufacturers in ready to cut thicknesses but you actually got the the, the cutting machine from fat to, to, from a, a full fat piece of foam down yeah, so you can like a foam block because mm -hmm. uh, if it's foamed it's uh, they say always at the foam manufacturers it's one street one street is yeah. about 60 meters long so if you want to have one quality you have to foam 60 meters and then it gets cut cut in in foam blocks, mm -hmm. and so we have a, a foam block slicing machine, and that's very cool. And, and it's a weird mix of automation, as in it's a machine with a computer connected to it. Mm -hmm. And there was a very there was a very smiley chap next to it with with an awesome beard, just mm -hmm. as a random comment. Um, and it was a mixture because he had the, it was all computer controlled, but at the same time he was manually putting the the slab of foam, so to speak, on it. And then he had a wonderful old school analog micrometer style yeah. thickness measurer. And, and and so as it was coming through the blades, and think of it like basically a big guillotine crossed with that cheese grater when you've got a multifunction cheese grater, one of them is a slicer, <laughs> kind of looks like that. Um, and he was just sort of measuring the thicknesses to probably the oh. tenth of a millimetre, I'd imagine, that sort of level of accuracy, yes. and then putting the finished ones there. I, I think I annoyed him with the photos because you asked me to get a uh, cartoon-style strip of each stage that he was doing it, so I was stood... <laughs> 
a bit close to him going click, 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 click. Occasionally, I just, you know, poked him just for fun. Um, and so that was good. Well, that's that the thing. Good. You weren't using your camera. You were standing there going click, click, <laughs> click. And that's just weird. But I ran out of batteries, all right? <laughs> I've got to look professional. Um, and then and, and further on, then you kind of continue on the realm. And the first thing is they're sticking the uh, hook and loop, I guess we call it, rather than Velcro. Yeah, lamination pod. Stud. That's the one. And yeah. it's big uh, heat presses, which mm -hmm. was, again, pretty cool. And I didn't really. you don't want to get your hand trapped in. Oh, hell no. Mm. Yeah. No, and the t I don't know. What sort of temperature do they press on at the back for the adhesive? Uh, 140. 40 degrees Fahrenheit or Celsius? Celsius. Oh. For about 45 seconds, something like that. Just It just makes everything... Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it's a heat press. So think of it like a toasted cheese sandwich maker, but one that you could toasted cheese sandwich humans. That's the sort of size. <laughs> and now put that image in your head and, and thank me later. Um, just see where that where that trip takes you. Down <laughs> yes, a dark hole. I'll see you at the other side. Um, and then uh, the next side of it was... That was kind of the secret bit. There was um, a tall chap who apparently worked for the business for 17 years, even mm -hmm. though he, he looked 20, he looked very healthy. Okay. Um, I, I imagine you know who I'm talking Hopefully. about. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Well, he wasn't dead. <laughs> the, um, but this was the area where you put in some of your signature bits, and this was a cameras down situation because it's mm -hmm. all very, very secret. I mean, we had this at Rupert's, we had this a couple of others, and they got clever stuff. And sometimes they say it's dead secret, and they guide us into a room, and there is a vat with something mixing in mm. there. And we're like, dude, this is not a secret. We, we, we have seen this thing before. <laughs> but we walked in here and it was genuinely different. It was it was something we had never seen. It was just kind of a like a multi-tool slice and dice for pads. Mm -hmm. And so at one end, now do stop me if I'm about to reveal a big serious secret, throw something at me or something like that, but gently. <laughs> and uh, you had a, a simple round pad, foam pad, uh, with no contours on, no texture, no slits or cuts or anything A blank. Like a blank. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it went into this machine and this machine has kind of four stations. The first station uh, would spin and add a side profile. The second station had some spinny, cutty, disksy things, uh, which went down once and then it rotated and down again. And then you create your kind of your not, it's not a waffle, what do you call it? Your cross cut. Your cross cuts. Uh, and then it came out the other end and it went into, and then it was neatly packed in a box and stuff like that. Yep. I could have sat there for hours. If it wasn't for being asked to move on, I would have just sat there watching this thing going around. And we've got some photos, but they're quite we're quite restricted for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, and this factory was... I, I've realised I've just started talking about this factory experience, but that's how cool it was. Um, so that's in one building. The building that we're in currently has got uh, your R&D. It's got your kind of public-facing customer service, that sort of thing, yep. sales and stuff like that. Accountancy. Accountancy. That's the exciting bit. Yeah. Oh, check Very out exciting. the... <laughs> what a calculator they had. Um, IT department. Yeah. Never forget the IT department. Oh, yeah. I do, and I have been in one. Um, so that facility is really cool. And as we say, in the future, behind us... That says the mixing. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. mixing. Very important. Very important. And, and A room full of 3,000 KitchenAids. Who would have thought it? <laughs> to mix it all together. <laughs> it's all secrets. I'm giving them away. Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> You're going to get us kicked out again. Um, and also, yeah, so we had big mixing vacs. We had uh, labelling machines for a combination of kind of doing big batches of standard bottles. And then they had some smaller machines on the side for if you're doing, I imagine, OEM stuff to those people who come along and say, oh, I yeah. just want standard product, but I want it in this bottle that is shaped like an S. And I want you to label it with foil and, uh, and make yeah, it really complicated. Can make everything happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and we met your production manager downstairs as well, who showed us the aluminium oxide in mm -hmm. its kind of natural form. It was a massive, great big bag of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Very big bag of white stuff. It did It did look potentially Colombian. Cocaine. Yes. Yeah, it did. It did. We did ask if it was easy to get through customers. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the hot news, uh, I gave it a sniff. It, it's not cocaine. 
<laughs> got a really sore throat though I tell you that <laughs> and the pink elephant standing over the other side of the table Woo. Um, so we do all of that bit together and uh, watching that and again it's all in the magazine because obviously this is radio or effectively radio so it's difficult to describe things but it was big and impressive and the big difference I noticed with your vats is that they're plastic mm -hmm. all the other vats that I've seen have been stainless steel okay. but they've been fixed vats and so it looks to me the difference that you have and again give me like eye signals if I'm giving away two big secrets but um, the uh, the big stainless steel ones are fixed and then they drain out and they go somewhere else but your ones seem to you actually change the whole vat over correct is this yeah. so that you don't lose residue yes also uh, but on the other hand I think if you compare us to other manufacturers uh, we have smaller batches so mm -hmm. if we have private label customers like a wide variety wide variety of products yeah, correct normally if you go to other sources you probably get what they also sell under their own label I see what you mean, yeah. and we can make it more lots of different and you don't of course have to rinse out between each one because it's just got the same chemical in it correct that's very cool and then there was a warehouse next to of all the stuff that you'd made with lots of labels going off all over the world mm. and stuff like that and we definitely didn't take any photos of those and actually, we didn't because it's all in German. I didn't understand a word. You can still take a photo of stuff in German. <laughs> it doesn't like Google Translate doesn't work on my camera. Um, anyway, so uh, I was thinking what a nice little sort of topic is um, private ownership mm -hmm. versus public ownership. So this is something that hits all companies. They almost all start private and they start small and then they become successful. Mm -hmm. And once they get to a certain level, you start getting other companies sniffing around, yeah. thinking, oh, we could we could buy you. And there are various reasons. You could get, for example, a hedge fund. So there's a big German manufacturer that we, we all know of that's not a million miles away from here that's been uh, bought and sold by hedge funds repeatedly, and it did it no favours. Mm. And um, that, even when they are bought by a big kind of financial institution, on the positive side, those who owned it suddenly become very rich and they can afford Subarus. Mm. Uh, but also on the positive side, they might do a big cash injection in order to upgrade the facilities and stuff like that. Yeah. But the disadvantage is that all the money made will go off to the shareholders mm. and not be reinvested in the business. Correct. And the feeling that I get here is that a lot of the money made here has been reinvested and everything is, is quality. Mm. Fixtures, fittings, light switches, I, there's no sign of any corner cutting. Yeah. Um, and I get the feeling that could be, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's because of the private ownership that you've got. Correct, yeah. I think, uh, well, it, for, for sure, it, it could be a way how it could work if you have somebody who is purchasing your company. We also had a lot of uh, inquiries. You've yeah. had offers, have you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, asking if, uh, if it is possible to... Uh, to purchase Shaw, mm -hmm. but uh, the owner Frank is not interested, so he loves the brand. Uh, we all love the brand, and so that's why it's nothing what we th we are thinking about. And um, I would say it's also something what is interesting, or w what when we look into the future, I think this could also make the difference in between other. Um, uh, manufacturers or other brands mm -hmm. uh, that mm, the other manufacturers uh, they are owned by some financial financial groups yeah, yeah. Um, and and so all the um, yeah the, the people who started up the business who, who brought the ideas into their business they are not there anymore and this is something if you compare it to a private owned company still keeps everything alive mm -hmm. you have some innovations and probably that will 
hopefully change. Yeah, you kind of retain the expertise yeah. and retain the passion. And it was interesting, you were saying how, you know, going through the big German manufacturers. Yeah. And it's basically yourself and Manzerna who are remaining in terms of the compound game, who are privately owned. Correct. And you, and you were very adamant, you said, look, both of these companies, they're, they're private, they've got passion, they've got drive. You wouldn't be surprised if some of the other big names that all of our listeners will have heard of, who are mm. owned by conglomerates and all the rest of it, will actually just slowly fade away due to lack of investment, lack of research development, yeah. lack of drive. Sitting on the laurels. Exactly. Uh, and, and it'll be, you know, the private, the tenacious, privately owned, technically smaller as a mm. consequence, um, companies that will persevere. It's an interesting topic because there are some takeovers I've seen. So just use an example, a mutual friend of all of ours is Flex. Yeah. Uh, and they've gone through turmoil in, in the past when they were been bought out by hedges and stuff like that. But now they're owned by a big company that is generally investing in them yeah. and pushing them forward and also introducing their technology from their area of expertise. And the impression we were only there yesterday, the impression we get is, you know, really good it's it's going mm, into it's working a, yeah exactly they're going on the up whereas i've seen other companies so we talked to a chappy who worked for a um a, another company one of your competition in fact mm. and um he worked he'd worked there for ages when this company was in, in private ownership and as soon as it's been bought out by, by a company from a different country he was like no i'm not <laughs> i don't want anything yeah. to do with these guys yeah that's i think the bad thing about it they don't care a lot about the brand anymore and about the people and that's why it's mm, it's just milking the cash cow yes yeah, correct absolutely incidentally it is definitely milking the cash cow because when you use the analogy just milking the cow it's just apparently it's weird yeah <laughs> um, but also the uh, the changement in the industry you always have to bring new products new developments and also paint the paint system is changing so you also have to um, develop new products and I'm sure with uh, with um, brands like Scholl or mm -hmm. other brands who are private owned, you can still uh, get new pro uh, new developments. And with uh, yeah, with companies what are not private owned anymore, probably the know-how is not there anymore, mm. and so you don't get anything new. And it, that's the resource company. Is it's not just the bricks and the mortar or the branding or the rest of it. Mm. It's the people. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a fascinating thing. We've seen it with the trade where, you know, the, the people move from company to company and they do. It's a, it's a very, there aren't very many, um, what do you call them, type of chemists, formulating chemists. Mm -hmm. There aren't that many formulating oh. chemists in this world. Um, and they all seem to know each other. Yeah, it's a small industry. Mm. I've, talk, I've talked to a lot, all, you know, not just in Germany. And they're all, oh, yeah, I know him. I know him. Went to school with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And, and it's interesting to see where they, uh, where they end up. Yeah. They, they obviously can tell a, a company. And if I was a formulating chemist, I'm not far too stupid for that sort of thing. Um, I could see working here would be very cool indeed. Mm -hmm. And not just because the forklifts and the big digger are around. <laughs> but anyway, before we get too silly, is there any other things that we want to talk about, Ian, perhaps? No, we're going to go for a break now. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Martin Commander. What a cool name that is. Anyway, and <laughs> Auto Mechanica 2023, widely known as the most important trade show for the UK automotive industry, with over 500 leading exhibitors taking part. 
It's on at the NEC in Birmingham between the 6th and 8th of June and brand new for 2023. We have a dedicated detailing area as well as the Detailing Live Hub. Industry Educators UK Detailing Academy are hosting practical demonstrations, manufacturer showcases and answering all of your detailing related questions. So visit the Auto Mechanica Birmingham website today to book your free ticket. And we're back. And this time we have replaced a Matthias with a Martin. In fact, we have somebody with perhaps the coolest name in detailing, Martin Commander with a K. How are you today, Martin? Thanks a lot. Hello. Hello. And uh, we are going to be doing some uh, myth busting with yourself. Uh, but first, I'd like you just to tell us a little bit about your background. I was educated as a carpenter and also did a master degree in carpenting and uh, I'm responsible for Scholl in Germany and uh, I'm also responsible for the technical education of our customers. Uh, I do the trainings. I do the master trainings with the for the Flex Detailing Academy together with Scholl and uh, I give the technical support inside Scholl concerning product developments and product management. Gotcha. So that's a, that's a pretty impressive CV. You're, you're the problem solver. Kind of, yeah. That's, that's, see, that differs from me. I'm a problem creator. I was about to say, it's kind of literally your polar opposite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like looking in the mirror. So, 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 so. I'm the answer of you. <laughs> um, so uh, one thing we've been talking, frankly, we've been talking all day, and, and we met first, I think, at the detailing show. Yes. It feels like many years ago, but it wasn't. It was only two. One, one, one year. One, one year, year ago. One blimey. And then again, at decon. Yeah. We just kept bumping into each other. It was weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People started asking questions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some rumors were created. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so moving swiftly on, um, the, um, clear coat myths, clear yeah. coat myths. Yeah. And, and the first one I, I want to hit is paint fade. Yep. So tell us about paint fade and what causes it. Just, just, just to clarify, on the, the, the myth we're, we're chasing here is that when a clear coat is curing, when it's in baking in the oven, um, while it's still liquid, a clear coat contains UV blockers and... The, the story is that these can float towards the surface, so you've got a collection of, U, of UV blockers on the top, and if you take away too much of that initial top coat, that takes out a majority of the UV blockers within it. So what is the truth behind that? Well, let's say it's my, with my experience as a carpenter, I, can, I never saw or experienced that effect that, you're, that, you're, that we are talking about now. And... Uh, as I heard, because it's also in the binders and not only in the, in the solid state of the material, uh, it is everywhere in the layer of the clear coat. Is it so, fully suspended? Yeah, it's fully suspended. And um, <clears throat> it, of course, maybe the UV protection gets a bit lower than when you uh, thin or, or sand down the layer of, of the clear coat, but it's not that much as uh, maybe somebody is telling. You get, you see outside lots of very hard and often polished cars, but they don't have any color fading. You have only color fading by single layer cars. So as I experienced love of the famous red. Yeah, opal mm -hmm. red or voxel yeah. red to yes, the rest of us. Yes. Yeah. But this is a different story. It's because of the not UV resistant pigments inside. There was a change in the law somewhere in the 90s and it's about the lead, lead oxide inside, which had to be changed in something else because it was banned. Uh, for producing and uh, so but I never experienced uh, that I had a bleached out car somewhere because it was polished too often. Well there's a bit of a counter to this there are, there are two in fact so one I always heard that red cars 
uh, fade quicker than others because the color red and it's to do with sunlight being UV. So that's on the so you imagine the color spectrum, the visible color spectrum, mm -hmm. color light spectrum. At uh, one end you've got uh, infrared and then red. And on the other side, you've got violet and then ultraviolet, which is obviously not visible to humans, but it's it, what makes us so, you know, crispy and red in the sunshine. Um, and because the red is at the opposite side of the UV, it apparently is the highest energy light. It absorbs the most energy and therefore is the quickest to break down and oxidize and therefore fade. Never heard about that. <laughs> I've been smashed down. Hey, if, you, if, you, if you want an interesting uh, red paint fact, I've actually got one. And it's from uh, the States in the 50s. And it was when red pigments first started to become more stable because stop signs used to be yellow, huh. and they changed them to red. That is that is an interesting, an interesting aside. And then there's one other thing to throw into in Spano, and this is something that I'm guessing because Honda isn't very popular over here in in Germany. Uh, nor Subaru. I've only seen two so far. I tried Becker and a Forester, tragically. Um, we have seen a Lada Riva. We have seen a Lada Riva, which is very cool. That was yesterday. Um, however, there is a Honda Red that we believe still fades despite having a clear coat. Also, I never, I've never seen that. Mm -hmm. Or let's say maybe there are so less cars here in Germany with that certain red that we couldn't experience that. It just hasn't happened so, yet. Yeah. Would the substrate have any effect on it? As in, if it was just the plastic bumpers that were fading to red, uh, to maybe pink. maybe sometimes the bumpers or the, the let's say the additional parts are painted in a different way with a different color because even they can't stand the stand the same temperature. Mm -hmm. So there are other binders are used than for the rest of the body of the car. So maybe because of that, and yeah. also we have that you see it uh, some from time to time even at high class manufactured cars that you have color differences in between the body and the bumper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is also because of the static of the material, so, mm -hmm. so because the metal pigments go in another direction a bit. And uh, maybe because of that, the color seems to be different and maybe also a bit brighter or lighter than, than the rest of the body. And of course, uh, you can make the appearance of color if you, if you have a very light underground, like white something like that different color primers yeah different color primers then you can play with the color you make it more bright or more dark it's a that's for sure mm -hmm. yeah but this is nothing affecting with the with the uv to come to, to, to the start of the question that's interesting well on that same um kind of vein in terms of things uh in in, in your words actually swimming to the top mm -hmm. what's fascinating a, a lot of detailers for a long time really since mercedes brought out ceramic clear have i won't say struggled with ceramic clear paints but with uh kind of ultra high solids and just harder clear coats there has been a kind of well it's, it's a challenge i mean uh, why am i they're, an, this they're an absolute pain in the ass if you if you go in hard and fast most things were pain in the arse. Hard and fast, pain in the arse, anyway. <laughs> Next podcast, please. <laughs> anyway, Martin, tell us about the chemistry behind these, because you've actually worked, well, Scholler's worked with the manufacturers of these paints, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, we worked with the manufacturer. I did it also with uh, in my job before when I worked for Mirka for the OEM department. Mm -hmm. um, we were we had to repair that ClearCoast Direct online um, when they had to be repainted or things had to be repainted. And uh, you have the two different types. You have one, the real scratch resistant, like the ceramic clear coat Mercedes was providing this time. Other ones had that also. And the scratch improved. This was a lighter version of the, of the um, ceramic clear coats. But it was always like that, that the ceramic parts were coming to the surface 
as long as the clear coat was after the applying was liquid. So if you went through this first hard layer, mm -hmm. it became more easy to polish and to, to, to work on it. But you have to get through this this first layer, let's say. It's like kind of an outer shell, like an eggshell almost. Yeah, yeah. So, so. But, but I suppose from a detailing point of view, that's a bit confusing because if you are uh, found your pad and, and polish combo and your arm movement and pressure and all the rest of it and it's all working fine, yeah. And then you get through that layer and then suddenly everything goes to pieces or if somebody else has polished a panel before and you're doing one panel it's behaving in one way and you go to the next panel and it's it's misbehaving a different way yeah but it's a challenge huh? yeah indeed indeed did they did the um, ceramic element have a lifespan no no as long as they are covered completely as uh, so in the polyurethanic uh, layer what should happen to them so because it's because it's not like the um uh thermoreactive Paints that are, are, are almost self-healing, as it were. They they have a a, a lifespan of three three or four years. Don't yeah, they? yeah, because there's elasticity. Yeah. yeah, because there's something in inside to 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 keep them uh, moving. Mm -hmm. Let's say it like that. So so, and this could uh, fade out. It's like, all it's the same. Like like when plastic gets gets harder during the time because um, the, 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 the plasticizers maybe the plasticizers uh, fade out it's the same it's the same effect yeah but on the other side because um, the ceramic this is really rigid so what should happen to it as long as it's covered with um, with the, with the mm. binders and everything well that makes sense that makes sense um, another polemic thing which is fascinating that I learned from you today is that I've always believed when you're polishing paint it's to do uh, part of the abrasion is obviously coming from the compound and part of the abrasion is coming from the pad uh, but you, in the nicest possible way, rocked my world uh, earlier today. Uh, and you told me about um, actually the role of a pad. Because obviously, from a friction point of view, as you pointed out, you could rub anything against paint and it's going to have an abrasion element to it. Um, so what in your book does the uh, is the role of the pad? What's, what, what does it do? So first of all, sorry for rocking your world. <laughs> oh, it was fun. <laughs> so um, let's say it like that. So we, we experienced, or we, we, we took a closer look on that because, you know, we are also pad manufacturer and uh, then maybe you get deeper because you, you are facing more raw materials than other ones than just uh, buying from the catalog a certain pad. Yeah. Um, and we figured out that um, a big role is one 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 big role is uh, the size of the bubbles of the of the foam, mm. because they uh, are responsible for how much polishing compound is carried over the surface. And the next one is uh, the hardness of the pad, and also the elasticity of the pad. So because the, this influences the moving of the, of the powder uh, binder compound mixture mm -hmm. over the surface. And of course, a pad itself could affect the surface, but this could the backing pad without the pad also. That's true. Yeah, just yeah, the backing so. plate could, could do a lot of damage in yeah, fact. Yeah. So but the and, and what's interesting is the relationship, that, well, the difference between elasticity and hardness, because on the one hand, you think, well, you put your finger into a pad and it bounces back, it's got elasticity, mm -hmm. but it can have elasticity and still be a hard pad, can't it? Yeah, yeah. of course. So, so because you, you have the side moving also, Mm -hmm. It's not only uh, from top to bottom, it's also what, what happens from side to side because you, as, even if you has a, have a rotable polishing machine and you have a circulating movement, mm -hmm. you have side forces, uh, you, you have to bring on the surface and also you have to bring the, 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 um, the force from the top to the surface mm -hmm. uh, for the polishing outcome for the objective. And uh, because of that, it's very important and, and, and this but on the other side these are the parameters you can play with mm -hmm. if you want to affect also the structure of the clear code or if you want to keep it like it is 
and also how fast you are affecting the clear coat and this causes also some or is, is also responsible for the temperature uh, you're bringing into the complete system. Well, on the subject of temperature, and it's related, what is your opinion? So pads, as you know, come in many different shapes and sizes, and you get some with uh, kind of waffle weave, as we yeah. call. We've got some with blades, some with holes in the middle, some without holes in the middle. Um, and we've talked to lots of manufacturers um, mm -hmm. or, or producers of pads or sellers of pads and said, you know, what's your opinion on these? What's your opinion on that? And we've had lots of very differing stories. So it'd be fascinating to get your take. Do pads need to have holes in it depends. It depends of the structure of the foam. Mm -hmm. So, for example, our navy pad or our spider pad navy blue has a hole in the middle. This is because um, we have a very dense foam, and uh, we experience that it's better to have a hole in the middle so to, that we transport some of the of the heat away. Mm -hmm. And but in the orange pad, this is not necessary because it's breathing and after that, that we can work with a full surface without a hole in the middle. So the hole does generally contribute to the lower running temperature of a pad? Yes, but it's uh, also the, the heat which is created from the machine. Like okay. if you have a forced, forced orbital, mm -hmm. uh, the gear itself creates a lot of heat and mm -hmm. this heat has to put away somewhere. And uh, then it's better you have a hole over there and then to, 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 to push it into the back. So, of the, so the, yeah. the, 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 the hole in the middle will, st will still get hot, obviously, because it's, it, it's just heating up. Nobody measured air. it, but uh, you, we, we have an uh, open site where mm -hmm. we, the temperature can move away. We experience, on the other, we experience on the other side that if we are using the same pad without a hole, it could create, if you go really hard with a hard polishing compound with high speed, a long time, it could create a bubble and uh, the glue starts to melt again. So this was, and then we punched a hole in it and yeah, pad through we it. got rid of the problem. So yeah. yeah. And then, so what do you think about the different surface? I wouldn't say textures, because obviously texture is very, very important, mm -hmm. but that's more to do with the kind of the nature of the foam. And, and what's really interesting is with Shoal, just an aside, you guys, you, you get your foam in, but your foam is made to your specifications rather than having kind of generic foam that the, you then cut pretty pictures out of. Um, but in terms of the, the surface contours, if you like, of mm -hmm. them, um, what, what do you think is the relevance? Do you think they're important? Do you think a flat pad is absolutely fine? Do you think you need to have lots of different textures? What, what do they do? No, it, it depends a bit, let's say it like that. So. Uh, even a waffle pad, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, technical, technically seen, maybe it. Somebody says it's 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 it's, it's not uh, the big issue if it's have if it's waffled or not. But on the other hand, you have a bigger surface, mm -hmm. and you have a better adaptation if you have a car which is not only a flat shape. So you have some 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 edges and stuff like that bendings, where it follows better the form. I see what so, you mean. At the end, if you put it on a flat surface like a bonnet, no difference. No yeah. difference because um, it will be pushed down completely. Gotcha. So, like Actually, that. that's a really interesting point. I realize that is, of course, if you've got lots of hills and valleys, you're basically massively increasing the surface area of your pad. Oh, it's so clever, isn't it? It's so clever. Uh, and actually, on that topic, um, obviously, Shoal is is well known for your pads, and uh, the spider pads have been around for a long time. How does how do they work? What's their kind of relevance? Um, spider pads were invented because um, the industry came to us and said uh, they want to exchange the lamp spool 
because mm -hmm. you, there are several issues with lens wool, like uh, waves in quality. Uh, it makes a difference if you take the, 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 the wool from the back or from the belly or from the side. And when you're murdering lambs as well. Yeah, could, you could avoid that with the artificial, with the knotted ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but you bring, and this was the main topic for, for the car manufacturers, you bring lots of lint in it. Mm. Yeah, because um, it's not nearly impossible to produce them lint-free. Yeah, you find fibers flying yeah, across yeah, the so workshop. Everyone knows that if you take a if you take a lamp spool out of the package, put it on a, on the backing pad, uh, turning into first rounds, you see the white swirls everywhere. Mm. You look like you got a family of cats at home or something. Yeah, it's just yeah, sheds yeah. all over. Like I look you do have a family of cats at home. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Me, <laughs> I have a dog, but you see it, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, and so this is uh, for a car manufacturer, this is this is killing. And, and they said, okay, we want to have something similar like a lamp spool, but uh, scalable by a million, let's say it like that, uh, without the, the lints and everything. And then we started developing and the outcome was um, the spider pad because um, we cutting the surface in uh, small squares also in, in the in the third dimension and then this uh gives us a surface increase by four yeah wow. if, effectively the same as coating all the individual fibers of the wool pad with yeah, yeah, with yeah, the polish yeah, and the yeah. lubricant so, so because this is also the the, the, the secret behind the lamps wool pad that on every wire you have um, the polishing compound and so you have a very huge surface uh, affecting your your polishing ground mm -hmm. and this is this is what we what we try to assimilate with, with the um, spider pads gotcha yeah. um and a more recent development is the ninja pad now tell us about the ninja pad the ninja pad where where uh, when we when we when we developed the ninja pads the, the idea behind was uh, on the one hand to show the market what is possible in the meantime in pet production mm -hmm. so and um, the cut it out edges um, is that you can see on a certain sp uh, speed of the machine you can look through them mm -hmm. and you see what's happening below and you can go better into the edges this is the idea behind the ninja pads and, and i mean you've got all the kit we've seen your you've got custom made machines so not just yeah. custom foam but the actual machines for cutting the various shapes and slices yeah, and yeah. dices and all the rest of it um is entirely bespoke to your designs and we met your um kind of machine master if you like who's who's involved in the r d of it and he's been working at the company for 17 years or something like that he's, he's the expert on it and and it's kind of the ninja i felt was a bit of a showcase of what you can achieve because it's such a intricate three-dimensional shape to be able to cut on a pad you, there's nothing else like it on the market um and to, to be able to see through while you're working does hold merit um what's your favorite pad that shall make honestly it's the navy pad <laughs> yeah so because uh, we have I, i'm a carpenter as i told in the beginning i'm a carpenter so, so, mm -hmm. so um i'm more in the in the rough polishing <laughs> <laughs> rough say, polishing like, sounds re kinky re removing scratches and, and stuff like that and yeah. uh, it's a multi-purpose pad which doesn't which doesn't also affect n uh, fresh clear coats mm -hmm. and uh, you you can use it for fresh clear coats you can use it for use paints and it lives very long because of the density of the foam um yeah because of that it's my favorite it's your favorite all-rounder sort of thing yeah yeah well um in the flavor of asking you lots of difficult questions mm -hmm. uh, we are going to do our 10 quick questions which are ironically named 
Um, and as you are the resident car enthusiast as well, we're expecting some decent answers and probably a bit of banter and disagreement. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, we shall kick off with what are your current cars? <laughs> during during my business days, working days, I drive a Mercedes, and in the weekend I jump in my RS5. So your Mercedes is is uh, we've just been in it. It's is a, it's a bit of a tank. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. it is huge. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a GLE, yep. and is it the 300 CDI? Uh, put a 50 beside and then you're right. 350 CDI. It sounds pretty meaty. sounds pretty meaty. It's got lots of clever things like 3D parking and stuff like that. Um, but the RS5, come on, let's focus on this because that's a V8, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's a 4.2 litre V8 with yeah. a 40 valve engine. Mm -hmm. And how much does that put out? 400 and something brake, yeah, is 450 it? horsepower. 450. That's, that's pretty decent. Yeah. That's pretty decent. Um, but imagine you had all of the money in the world um what would you buy car wise obviously that's a that's a very very hard question because there are lots of cars i love mm -hmm. <laughs> which were which are iconic for me if i had to choose one i would choose a mercedes 280 se convertible 280 se so that's not a pagoda no that's um the w111 the okay so yeah. it's a saloon convertible. So it's a, it's, it's a very fine shape, isn't it? It's a coupe, coupe convertible. Yeah, coupe convertible. Um, I think that was in, God, I'm really going to embarrass myself here. I think that was in Bridget Jones's diary. I think that's what What's It face. Yes, you have. Floppy hair took What's It over to for a, for a date in. Anyway, um, it's they're very elegant cars. And that's not the answer I was expecting. I was expecting something sportier, lighter, less sort of dignified. Mm. Yeah, well, a Porsche beside would always be nice. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kiki. So, um, when if you if you go back into the mists of time, yeah, because uh, you like me are chronologically enhanced. Mm. What is the first car that you ever detailed? <laughs> You're going to hate me for that for the, for the answer <laughs> now. <laughs> um, this was a Lamborghini Diablo, special edition, uh, number thirty-five of. 50, I suppose, anniversary edition in black. And it was done with short compounds. What, uh, Why did you decide to cut your teeth on the Diablo? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was, I was, I was uh, working at uh, that time as a shop floor manager in a body shop. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a very good customer of us. And uh, he had that car beside. And he had a struggle because he drove a road where lots of cement was lying on the, on the road. And he came with that car to us and said, oh, the insurance is paying for it, but uh, you have to fix it. And uh, so he said, okay, let's do it. When you say cement, we're we talking like globs of cement or no, just, just, just dust? dust. Okay. dust, dust, dust. Okay, but there really was some water also on the car at the <laughs> same time. So it, yeah, we, we had a bit of struggle, but it worked. And um, yeah, I called. I called the brother of the, uh, the brother-in-law of the owner of the company of Shaw Concepts this time because he was supplying us with the normal co polishing compound for paint in the big. Mm -hmm. Said, but I need something to uh, get rid of the holograms afterwards. And uh, uh, so he brought me the S40 this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, with a black waffle pad and a water bottle uh, compressed air mm -hmm. sander, big one, a polisher. And then we got rid of the holograms, and this was my first experience in detailing. And how long ago was that? In 2002, so this is more than 20 years ago. Blimey. I'd like to say I was still at school, but that'd be a lie. Um, so when you are washing a car, yeah. um, and this is a personal question, so apologies in advance, but how many, um, how many buckets do you use? <laughs> I know, I should say two, but I only use one. And how do you justify such sin? 
<laughs> no, a, a, a giggle it's, doesn't work. It's my bloody car. <laughs> you know, it's my car, and you know, I need to create the scratches to show the customers afterwards how to remove the scratches. So because of that, I do it only with okay. So it's one bucket for deliberate graffiti defacing of yeah, the yeah. So, so I put them also to the machine to the machine washers because of that. But, uh, so, but that's so. quite common over here, isn't it? It's uh, running through machine washers. It's yeah. uh, due to environmental regulations. You're not allowed to do a lot of your own at home. Yes, yes, also, also, and uh, hand washing in the clean parks in, in Germany is also very difficult because some of the owners of the clean parks, they don't like if you bring your own material to the, to the clean parks, maybe for do a special hand wash. So if you have a, a known place to wash your car, you're, you're lucky and then you can do it like you want. But um, on the other hand, you don't have any other chance than go to Mr. Wash or somewhere else. And yeah. It's not exactly like you've got a full detailing center you can use anytime you want to. Yeah, and loads of detailing products and like yeah. just sitting around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, honestly, if you are the whole week into detailing and the last stuff yeah. like that, yeah. and, and, and you, it's about your own car on the weekend. Yeah. Um, Germany, we have a saying, um, the shoemaker's shoes are the worst. Yep. So, yeah, but it's like a mechanic's car is yeah. always unserviced. Yeah. yeah. And and it explains why Ian and I both drive filthy, dirty cars all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's for testing purposes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another personal question. Yeah. Um, do you like a rotary or do you like a DA? How do you like to go round round? 100% rotary. Oh, okay, so, old school. So, 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 uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, I love it. And uh, uh, for my opinion and for many others in the meantime, opinion um, you get a better outcome you get a better objective because you get more gloss and you get a better surface right? and if you weren't forced to pick one or the other would you still use a da for certain processes or would you just use it a rotary yeah you, i would use a rotary but yeah so you know i'm using for more than 20 years a rotary so, so um, it kind of feels natural i guess yeah yeah, yeah. no we were discussing about how da's have made access to detailing to be able to achieve a reasonable finish with less skill and experience than with the, if you only had rotaries and how it sort of changed the industry, the professional side of the industry particularly. Um, it's a fascinating topic, but not one for the 10 quick questions. Um, another question, and I think I know where you're gonna go because you're old school, yeah. hence the rotary and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, would you, once you've finished washing your car with your one bucket and your yard brush, uh, would you like to coat it with a ceramic coating or would you like to wax it with a wax coating? I am totally old school, I use a wax. I thought you might. Yeah, because but you you know this is something this is something emotional, because you a wax you can use more often if you put a ceramic on it you at least one year you don't have to do anything so I okay. use a wax. Well, I'm going to extend this question then because I know some what I call waxmeisters like mm -hmm. to apply the wax with their bare naked fingers. How do you use a foam pad, a microfiber pad, or do you finger it on? You know you know the secret behind the fingering. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just going to leave the room. <laughs> or why they, let's say it in a more diplomatic way, why they use their hands for applying the wax. Is it because the heat in your fingers helps the wax stay kind of soft? Um, yes, the, because of the melting point of canoba wax is normally exactly 37 degrees. And if you uh, didn't sleep in biology, you yeah, know what most people are 37 to 38 degrees. They should be, they should health. be, yeah. And I found at 29, they're quite unresponsive. Um, so okay, so it's because it's so it's because it helps spreading the wax on, on on the surface, and yes, I'm one of them. You're you're pro fingering. Yeah, yeah, no important stuff. What what's your favorite? <laughs> what, what's your go-to wax? Ah, 
Yes, I was wondering what's this. What's, what's your favourite fingering? <laughs> That's like it was a Thursday. Oh, <laughs> could we, could we, could, can we jump to the beginning? <laughs> I'm Googling the whole night now. Uh, oh, it's, you know. God help me. No, 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 erase your browser. So, history. shush, shush, shush. What's your favourite wax? My favourite wax, uh, of course, it's a shawl wax, it's a vintage wax. Shawl vintage. And that actually won the Megatest many moons ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. It imparted the most gloss of anything. And we put up against some heavy hitters, some Swiss wax and various other... Fireball was in that one, wasn't it? Fireball was. God, do you remember Fireball? Oh, uh, yeah. Where have they gone? Um, but we had things like R222 and stuff like that, which are serious gloss contenders. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, no, vintage Vintage one. came out on top. And we were at, yeah, we were at Autoglim, mm -hmm. so completely unbiased. Mm -hmm. And um, we used all of their expensive equipment. And, and right. a, there was a man there in a white coat. I think he was a chemist. I, I hope so. He talked about <laughs> chemistry. Um, and yeah, in, in pure, you know, unadulterated un yeah. testing, vintage came out best for, for gloss enhancement. Yeah, so yeah, from, for me, it's a, it's, it combines everything you need or what you expect from an, from an expensive wax or something like that. So mm -hmm. um, the usage, the smell, the gloss improvement, of course, mm -hmm. uh, how long it lasts. And also, you know, because also a bit the color, because it's, it's, it's a bit of beige. Beige. Beige, yeah. Beige. And this gives your color a bit of a warmer shape, let's say, like mm -hmm. that, because it's not clearly white, like not technical white mm -hmm. or clear, like um, the rock, for example. So it's a bit. I, I hear you, but warmer. I didn't think you would believe in color charged waxes. I would have thought that you'd be like, well, if you're adding any color to a to thing, you'd be reducing the gloss. Was yeah, that's a bit, a bit uh, <laughs> different story, let's say, like that. So, so if you if you have a light color like beige. Mm -hmm. It's no no issue with that. So, but if you if you go to dark pigments, uh, of course, uh, on a certain point you start uh, blocking the gloss because mm -hmm. um, you're limiting the the, the, the the layer of the the transparent layer, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, appears like like a glass. Uh, to to improve the gloss or to yeah well to you did a did a mini didn't you where you wet sanded you you lacquered and then wet sanded down and then lacquered again mm -hmm. and created some absolute killer gloss yeah. that I hear on the internet was big news well I was going to say uh, earlier on we were talking when we were going looking through the range and your uh, W six black mm -hmm. wax and you're saying there's there's been kind of misinformation put out there that because black is in its name it's only for black cars by by YouTubers <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had we had some we had some we had some things in the past uh, now in the new catalog it's it's a completely uh, explained um, we have the black series I'd say like that so these are the de is the detailing series. Um, so now it's more understandable. Of course, maybe it's also following that that lots of people are asking, do you have special compounds for black cars? Mm -hmm. So, and uh, also to meet them. But uh, in in general, it's like that. Black means it's a detailing. It's a, de so it's it's a, a detailing range. It's kind of like say Mercedes Blends AMG Black Series. Yes. It's it's the it's a level beyond. It's actually yeah. got nothing it's, to do with the color. It's a, it's a top level. Yeah, it's, it's color neutral. Yeah, yeah, it's color neutral. Um, doesn't affect the color. Um, on on the other hand, what I want to say in addition about the W6 black is uh, we have some SI3D particles inside, so you, we have a better protection than with common wax. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we don't have any abrasives inside. So because we had sometimes people expecting that we have a, a bit of AIO style. Yeah. yeah. So and but this is not. Of course, it couldn't because um, the, the abrasives are destroying the SI3D and so. so it is a pure liquid wax. Pure liquid wax with ceramics, ceramics and you, inside. And you don't apply it with your fingers? No. no. 
Good, good we got that cleared up. Uh, a question that I suspect, given where we are in the world, mm. I know the answer to. Uh, would you like, uh, if you had the choice, a gorgeous, curvy, raucous, like hope-evoking Ferrari, or would you like Photocopy Salesman of the Year Award Porsche? I would choose the Porsche. Yeah. Yep, whatever I do, I thought it was always going to end up that way. Uh, probably irritates a lot of people. By When's a Ferrari ever been hope-evoking? Hope-evoking? I hope for God this thing doesn't catch fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect example. <laughs> um, okay, much more serious question with much more serious consequences. Uh, Subaru or Mitsubishi? Subaru. Why? Yeah. Why? I'm, I'm making sure you're not a fake. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know my answer before was Porsche. Yes. So this is self-explaining now because I like boxer engines. Ah, okay. I thought it was because you had a dog, so you need something to put the dog in. Is it a lab? Have you ever got Labrador? No, no, I have a sharp eye. It's very small, so he can sit in the front, so it's no problem. <laughs> I, can, I cannot even get an Impreza or something like that. So, yeah. But it's uh, because of the boxer engines, and uh, I, like to, I like what the Subaru guys do. It's like, yeah, well, they, they helped Porsche. So, you know, it's uh, engineering superiority at its best. Marvellous. Uh, another question that I suspect is a foregone conclusion. Foregone. Uh, flex or Rupes? Uh, of course, Flex. Of course, Flex. Of course, Flex. And final question. Imagine you're here in Swabia where the sun is shining on a Sunday. You've done all your work commitments. You've done all your family commitments. You've been to church. And it's just you and your RS5. You have the option. You could either do your one bucket brush wash or you could go for a drive in the lovely countryside around here. Self-answering question. I would take <laughs> it for a ride. Kind of stuff. Drive to the auto wash. That is cool. Well, Martin, look, it has been an absolute pleasure for you, A, showing us around here, and um, it's been a very informative and impressive day, generally, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, secondly, for putting up with our facetious questions for the last 30-something minutes. Poking um, your lenses and fingers everywhere. That was you, <laughs> me, to be fair. And, and to be fair, I think Martin enjoyed some of it. Um, so anyway, that leads us me to say thank you very much. And we hope to get you on the podcast again soon. Whenever you want. The pleasure is on my side, or was on our side, let's say it like that. Mutual. So, so we are... We, very very happy that uh, to welcome you over here that you take your time and visit our premises and then take took a closer look on the production sites and and also on the training side uh, was also for us a very informatic day and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. these english people they're strange <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i have to apologize for my poor english of course oh it's a damn sight better than my german and it's even better than his French. <laughs> Anyhow, on that, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.